what is the worst request that you've ever gotten as a DJ? Um, I think the worst request I got, I think I told you this story recently, but I'm just going to say it. I was playing Latin music. Um, I play a lot of Latin music in my sets mm -hmm. and I love playing just like upbeat Latin dance music and this dude who I don't have to describe because I'm sure you already know what he looks like. <laughs> Y'all already know. <laughs> uh, came up to me, didn't even say anything, just stuck his phone in my face <sighs> and was like, there was like a dubstep track on the phone. Do you remember what the dubstep track was? I have, I have no idea. I haven't listened to dubstep since 2010. That's a tragic moment in our music history. I really do think so. Like... I remember when I was DJing in college, the only reason I got into DJing is because we needed someone who didn't play like straight, like transformer fuck music. Like mm -hmm. it was, I had to play like literally playing Yeah by Usher changed the whole fucking <laughs> mood <laughs> because people would listen to so much fucking Skrillex and yep. I feel like this was a little bit pre-Chain Smokers, but like there were a bunch of these other people. The only person that come to my mind right now is Skrillex, but like everything had a dubstep remix and I'm just like, how do you dance to this and then people are like it's not dancing you have to be on molly and i was like all right so oh my god <laughs> uncheck that for my iphone <laughs> notifications it's like no more dubstep notifications um, oh yeah i just remember listening to dubstep like i mean in college and not understanding what was going on but i totally liked it you loved it? I liked it, yeah. Okay. When I, I was sorry, in I put words in your mouth. You loved it? I mean, <laughs> I didn't love it, it, but I definitely was like... Are you going to marry it? I was having a moment. I don't know what happened. It was before I even remotely thought I could ever be a DJ. I was okay. like, I got to college and I feel like my music brain exploded yeah. because I was exposed to so many new sounds that I had never, ever, like, encountered. And also this, like, the way that I could access music was so different at that time because it was the first real time that it was even possible to, like, download music, you yeah. know, off the internet. Mm -hmm. So Completely legally. Like, completely, 100% legally. Yeah. Like, not one illegal act ever commit actually i think we're past the statute of limitations i downloaded all my shit illegally there are songs that i never learned the name of them until i found them on spotify i was like oh it's not like uh, uh -huh. let underscore it underscore rock underscore featuring lil wayne <laughs> like <laughs> there are a whole there are a whole and there were like remixes of soldier boy songs I was like yo this isn't a, an official remix <laughs> like i really thought it was real i got all my music illegally um, but you can't get me on that feds because I'm, I'm legal now, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't what want to be deported. What are they going to do to the DJs? Um, I mean, like ultimately. Every DJ. Every DJ. <laughs> like, you know, if the RIAA like, was really, really about their shit, they'd be at the club being like unsanctioned. And, like, right. and have a bunch of like FBI dudes just take down the DJ. Can you imagine like just seeing Questlove get form tackled? Oh like, my God. Actually, unfortunately, because I love you and you're a black man, I could probably imagine you getting form tackled. But for music, for like knowing real hip hop, that would be a crime. Yeah. That would be that would be the real crime. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've already started, but we are at another Lucy's podcast. So as y'all know, the podcast is what I do to talk to my friends about things that are important to 
both of us kind of having a nice little mix between laughing with each other, but also talking about the things that we're dealing with right now because we're all dealing with stuff. And today we have someone who is my friend, who is my sister, who is my DJ um, combatant in arms, I guess. <laughs> we out here in these uh, these streets uh, digging through crates, throwing these crates at white people, throwing dubstep phone messages <laughs> into our face. Um, Ashley, please introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Ashley Hafnawi. I go by Maya. That's my artist name. Um, and some of the artistic things that I do include DJing, um, making music, painting, and writing. I probably spend most of my time writing, but I think, um... I try to give equal time to all of those different things. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's hard. That's but all, but all I heard was multi hyphenate. <laughs> all I heard was extremely fucking talented person. And you might be like, "Yo, I really need to balance the time." And I was like, "Why wow, you doing a lot? <laughs> Leave some fucking talent for us." And y'all can't see it. She's wearing a fire jumpsuit right now. And uh, honestly, one of the most stylish. You didn't even say you didn't add fashionista. <laughs> you didn't add fashionista. Um, Ashley is drip queen. Like got the fire sneakers, got the fire fits on decky all the time. Listen, out here downplaying herself for the podcast. <laughs> the people need to know. The people want to know. You're you're not letting the people know. That's what you're here for. <laughs> exactly. Listen, I will always gas. I will always gas up the homies. But like, um, Ashley, how did we meet? I'll let you start. Yeah, oh, I my love, God. I love, I love this when you tell the, the story. Best. I love when you tell the story. You tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was, I can't remember the year, but it feels like it was five years ago. Oh, you Probably. Know Time doesn't exist anymore. It was like, it, no, it was the year before I met my partner, I think. Oh. So it was either five or six years ago. But anyway, um, it was at a Brown Privilege comedy show, mm -hmm. which was a wonderful comedy show that used to happen in Friends and Lovers. I think they happened in other places, too. But I think they might have just moved it somewhere else, but I'm pretty sure it still goes on. Yeah, okay. Um, Shout out, Chauncey. Yeah, that was an amazing show. I had never been, and a friend of mine just invited me, and I went on a whim, and I... Mamadou was performing comedy... And uh, in your sketch, you or in your skit, do you call it skit or sketch? I don't call it anymore, and it doesn't call me. <laughs> set, set. In your set, yeah. you had spoken about being Muslim and about uh, being a DJ, and I just was like, what? I don't know any other people who are Muslim and DJs. This was also like back when I first really started DJing. So I hadn't met a lot of other Muslim DJs. Um, and so immediately I was like, I have to talk to this person. And I found you after the show. And I remember being nervous because I was like, I don't want... I don't really don't want this person to think that I'm like trying to hit on them. I just want to be friends. Like I'm really excited to be your friend. <laughs> and you know, it's well, it's exactly what I wanted right? to because like, <laughs> 
At like, and we've talked about this. One of my biggest fears in the world is being misinterpreted or saying the wrong thing. I hate doing it. I know you're never going to be perfect. You just apologize, keep it pushing. But Ashley came up. We went to go see Serene, who was DJing at the in the front after the show. Yeah. And we talked for a little bit, and then you were like, "Yo, I'm going to Le Poisson Rouge," and I was like, "Oh, she fancy, cool." <laughs> and it was for like a re- it was like a dance hall reggae night. It was. And you invited me, and I, the entire time I was just like. All right, so I don't know what this is, but I'm going to go as friends. And when I got there, I realized, oh no, I have come alone. <laughs> and um, the way that that went down is that I pulled up to Le Poisson Rouge, a lot of Rasta, a lot of dreadheads there, people dancing, having a good time. Ashley's there too, because you were doing the intro set. Mm-hmm. Doing the intro set. And I was like, having a good time. And I was pre COVID, six feet away from her whole group of friends, <laughs> just standing there. Just standing there, like having a good time, like tapping my foot, like cool, cool. And then I was just like, "Hi, what's up?" You were being such an uncle that night. Dog, I was literally, I was just vibing, enjoying the music. But the whole time, I was like, "Something needs to be done. Something needs to be clarified about this relationship." Because I literally, I was just like, "This is a cool person, a DJ, Muslim gang, gang. We out here." And yeah, and it was that. And I think that, like, shortly after that, we just, like, very much just solidified. like, you know, there's nothing else here. And, we're, yeah. and both were like, oh, thank God. And then we yeah. just became friends from then on out. I have to do that with, like, almost every man that I befriend. I have and to I have understand. a really frank conversation of, like, y'all know what this is, right? <laughs> They're like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what we are. You know, like, you plus me. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, no, there's nothing between us. Like, yeah, nothing, which is something, right? <laughs> you know, like something, right, bro? Like, no, I, listen, uh, one of the reasons, and we've talked about this before, that me and Ashley are always going to be friends is that we're, we have a very good friendship regulation system where if it's boundary setting or, you know, talking about things or setting time to like talk to each other, it never is like pressing or anything. We just do that. Ashley and I, we went, what's that, um, what's the tea shop in Williamsburg that we used to go to? Tea shop in, wasn't it in the Lower East Side? No, the one, well, we went to that one, but I'm talking about, everyone on the podcast is like, all right, y'all are friends, all right, niggas, shut <laughs> the up, chai do the chai spot in the Lower East Side was so fun. <laughs> the with, with, the, with the pillows and yeah, everything. Yeah, that was People a vibe. Was, no, that was dope. We I'm gotta go back. I'm talking about the sober bar. In Williamsburg. Oh, yeah, getaway. Getaway. Yeah. You know, I don't drink. Actually, at that point, didn't drink. I don't know if you I still don't drink. Still don't drink. No plans. Yeah. (laughs) Neither. All we do is drink tea. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, no, we we went and we just go have long conversations. We'd hang out um, and just have like always great conversations. Then during the pandemic, I think we both also understood it's like, we're probably not going to see each other, but we're going to (laughs) keep, we're going to keep doing like, long conversations and like Ashley's one of the few people that I can probably talk to for five hours straight and be like oh shit it's a different day now like, like we should that's probably get true out. that's how it is when we hang out yeah it's always sibling shit and we've you know we've we've you know creatively as DJs we've never really gotten the chance to be Jordan and Pippin out here like oh we very God. close took close to it last year and um you know I we can't wait as writers we've <laughs> we've uh for, forayed into the world of uh writing for grifters I mean people who give great advice oh my god and um yeah, it's don't always, get me in trouble. No, 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 no. Yeah, this. <laughs> the views of Mavadu and Jai, not the views of actually have now. <laughs>
<laughs> no, but like honestly, we we we've been out here for yeah. a few years, and you know, a lot of friendships, especially in New York, it's like you know they're either running gun and then they're over, or like they last for a while because you just kind of you always know that even though that person's doing all this stuff, when they're ready to talk about it, they'll talk about it, and that's, true. I, that's why I appreciate it about you a lot. Aww, yeah. I appreciate you too. Oh, stop. <laughs> all right, that was the these niggas are friends part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> let's fucking get into it. Nah, I mean I don't I don't you know I don't really have a full structure for this, but I'm just like what well, what's going on with you? I mean we've been we've seen each other a lot. We had a wonderful sushi night the other night um with your with your identical twin (laughs) and uh we had she doesn't have a real identical twin just someone who looks exactly like her it's like sister sister for real um but like what what's what's going on with you what are you what what are you thinking about um well yesterday i went to nowadays for the dweller festival Mm -hmm. which was um a 24-hour event um that highlights that was meant to amplify uh, black music, black electronic music. And I did not go for the 24 hours, although some of my friends were there for almost all the 24 hours. They would go back, you know, to their house to like change or take a nap and (laughs) come back and props to them because I was there for like six hours and then I got home and slept like a baby. (laughs) And I was totally sober the whole time. Was there a time in your life where you could go out for like mad long like that and be like, I'm good. I can just like, just oh, yeah. <laughs> take a nap, be out there. I used to do that all the time. It was batshit. It's <laughs> like, insane. And shout out to my friends who can do that and like yeah. rally and then go out again. Oh, but yeah. Then, I'm not, I'm not at all shaming anybody who could do that. Like, oh, I'm shaming y'all. Y'all, y'all, <laughs> y'all, some, <laughs> y'all build different. Like, <laughs> y'all some fiends. No, 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 no definitely not. It's, it's just, just like, not for this old lady yeah, anymore. I'm not like, built like that. Dude, I got, I got early onset rheumatoid arthritis. I can't be in the streets like this. <laughs> um, nah, I feel you. And um, tell them, tell them about like the the house, the house DJs. Cause, oh like, my that, god, it, it's it's always dope to see you know something that really had its roots in black culture like be reclaimed by black people. But yeah. like, how was it? Oh, it was incredible. Well, house music is. A genre of music that is very dear to me. Um, and I also think a genre of music that is pretty misunderstood in this country. Um, especially just, I don't know, like people really understand it as like deep house or European house music. And what are you telling me that an art form that is enjoyed by people of color around the world was <laughs> co-opted? By white people, uh, and then people only know the white version of it? <laughs> Are you saying that friends happen to music, too? <laughs> Is that what you're fucking telling me? What? Yeah, it's just... Yeah, so to see, you know, what happened this weekend, and I, I think uh, Dweller has been organizing events you know this isn't like the first time they've done this like I can't remember how many times but it's been you know they've done this a few times at least um and just like championing black music in that way was really special like it was really special to see as a DJ like you know working in New York City culture and nightlife spaces Mm -hmm. like that's actually still pretty rare to see 
um, black culture like being championed in that way and not just like yeah. co-opted and yeah. and um, yeah. So Dare the I say it, gentrified. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, y'all didn't see it. But Ashley just went to a place for a moment. <laughs> and, uh, that was poetry. <laughs> no, I mean. I mean, you're right. I, I think that, like, what, what what you're saying, especially about, like, house music, is that, like, especially me as a DJ, we were talking about it. Like, when I started DJing, like, people were like, I want to hear dubstep, because that was considered, like, house music. This is the house music versus, like, making music for, like, music that was by, like, Usher and Ludacris, like, the shit that was, like, popping in, like, the mid-2000s. But, like, yeah, it, it it's wild because, you know, when I think of house music, I think of, like, like early 90s late 80s like cocaine music like oh, yeah. DJs who were like you were saying this DJs out there doing a six hour set and everyone's just like straight up just like taking Molly and actually just having a good ass fucking time um and I shout out to Stacy Hot Wax that was like yeah. unbelievable she was the one who did a six hour set six I mean we've done long sets before but like that is it's still with house music like that's a lot too but like imagine how much history is in that set because she's been doing it for so long like yeah she, like it's just so many like i can think back now having dj'd for like a decade right like looking back i can be like oh cool i know how to get this crowd and this like this is where this sound came from oh so weedy's just flipping these beats from back then dj Khaled's flipping these beats from back then mm-hmm. and i can see that but like to have like the quest love have the Quincy Jones level of knowledge of all that music. I wonder if it makes it easier, if it makes it harder. Mm, Yeah. Cause at a certain point it doesn't even feel like it's active knowledge. It's Mm -hmm. more like intuitive knowledge. Yeah. You know, you're just like, Oh, I know how this sounds and I can like tell a story with it. At some point, the ancestors just start guiding your hands. (laughs) Like it's, (laughs) it's no longer in your hands. Mm -hmm. You close your eyes and just let, you know, grandmaster flash in (laughs) (laughs) yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those memes where you see where you see someone like you know sawing something and Jesus is above them being, being like I got you my right. <laughs> it's the same thing with DJ it's Questlove closing his eyes and Jesus being like yo play that uh, play that first side beat I love that play that Neptune's that's, beat <laughs> that's what I'm gonna have to start saying because I keep talking about how DJing is a spiritual experience and nobody gets it but I realize it's because I'm not talking about Questlove and Jesus yeah so Sometimes, sometimes you just gotta, you know, throw out that ABC sitcom right there. <laughs> it's Quest Love and Jesus. <laughs> like, just throw it out there. You never know. Um, no, it really is. I was talking to Joey about this last time. Um, the flow state of like, once you really hit your element and you're around people that you are having a good time and that you're not worried about a lot of different things, there's just something very pure about Because, yeah. like, DJing is taxing sometimes, especially when you're yeah. doing it to like survive. <laughs> yes, and it's not fun. And you're doing a party for uh, a university, and a bunch of frat kids yelling the n word at you, and you're like, "Wow, I'm about to go to war." How did I get here? Jail. How did I get here? <laughs> yeah, it's that stuff. You'd be wondering how I got here, and then fast forward two hours. But now I'm in jail because <laughs> me and Brody had to go mano a mano. Uh, but yeah, it's I hit the flow state often when I'm DJing now because it's not it's like I have a lot of like music knowledge in my head of like where I want to go what I want to do and also it's just there's something very unifying about um you know 
digging digging in the digital crates because we're not really out here with records anymore. Yeah, and, and also just like infusing a lot of sounds from not just you know around the country, which has a lot of different soundscapes in this country, mm-hmm. but around the world. And I think that the globalization of music lately has also made me feel more seen. So I feel that spiritual the spiritual connect, connection with it more because back in the day you weren't going to hear Umu Sangare on a on a song Mm-mm. like in the United States really. That's like That's maybe true. some French crossover. But when Beyonce hopped on it, now I'm hearing like Umu Sangare remixes in the yep. club i'm hearing you know you know baba mall doing like little guest thing i'm like yo that, i would not have seen this happen and seeing you know reggaeton artists and american artists now like collaborating on like rap trap songs it's like yeah it's pretty it may, it, doing that and seeing those interactions on the dance floor always make me happy well you know what's cool too is like i realized recently i don't think i realized this when i started djing but i realized how important the dj's role is in sh- in like shaping the narrative of sound mm-hmm. that gets uh you know like elevated in the world yeah you know i'm not saying that like what i play at my parties is like <laughs> going to be drake's next hit you know but that sound like i mean i don't think it's a coincidence that we hear Drake, you know, like sampling more Arabic music or like a lot of hip hop artists uh, like to sample Arabic music. And I really do think that like it was a DJ who just like blended two songs together and they were like, well, I don't know, this might sound good. And then someone heard it and was like, that's amazing. Have you heard the song Arab Money? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, we've come a long way. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm just I'm gonna put a bl- I'm gonna put a break in here so I can just put a little bit of that song in here. <laughs> Niggas was wildin'. <laughs> People were. Truly fucking bugging when that song oh came out. Oh my god! But like we've come a long way, and you're right. Yeah. I think that like the DJ, like you know, watching all these documentaries about hip hop and stuff like that, especially at a time where I wasn't really like DJing, but I enjoyed music from the time, and just seeing how instrumental DJing was to like getting your song to a wider audience at a mm-hmm. time before social media, and you know how important a DJ was to like keeping the party going, and you know. You know, I'm not saying that like DJs were the first innovators, but the innovation of just like putting your hand on a turntable and just moving it, and now where we are now, where people are out here just like putting their butts on the fucking crossfader and be like, "Yeah, we, we, this is the song," and you're like, and "You're like, okay." I know <laughs> someone who does that. Dog, I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I'm, I'm like, I, I see it, and I'm just like, but why? You have hands. <laughs> if you didn't have hands and you were DJing with your butt, I would be like. You love music. You really wanted to get these fucking mixes off. But sometimes I'm just like, okay. Yep. So, um, <laughs> is that going to be sanitized between sets? <laughs> like, do I have What's to, the COVID protocol? Yeah, do I, do I, do I, not even just COVID, just whatever's in butts. I just don't want that in my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're wearing big old rubber Dexter's Laboratories mom fucking gloves while you're teaching. <laughs> Like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why, why, why were you doing that? <laughs> when was your last laundry day, huh? Okay. Um, no, but I think that, yeah, bringing that sound to the dance floor is really important, but it's also about, like, the people. And I think that, like, 
DJing can be a selfish endeavor if you're just out there trying to like put your whatever you think is hard on. But I think it was a nice balance of like knowing. I think you can also tell who's really in touch with the culture. Yep. When and also in touch with the culture that they're playing music for. When you see that like you know convalescence of all those different styles of music and all the people who are on the dance floor staying on the dance floor leaving the dance floor and I think that like that's what I enjoy the most but like speaking to the people uh one thing that uh I'll let you speak more about Hazan but like specifically you know parties have notoriously been a not fun space in a lot of different ways and um as a DJ oftentimes People are just, I'm here to do the check, do the mm-hmm. party, keep it pushing. Mm-hmm. People going to do what they're going to do. I just play the music. But uh, one thing I also respect about it, uh, Ashley, I think it's also part of the reason why we get on so swimmingly. Uh, if you want to, a reminder of why we're friends, please go back a little bit in the podcast. <laughs> please rewind <laughs> five minutes. Rewind five minutes. <laughs> um, but it's because Ashley has a very specific... Um, vision and goal for safety and fun existing in the same place. And I think that like in a world post what was going on with like the Travis Scott concert where like man, people aren't even checking in and seeing people, people are like being stretched off and in worlds where like, you know, there's still a very dangerous cohort of people who are out there who are not carrying any sort of like pro social values, very selfish, very not healthy values mm-hmm. uh ashley's always been like fuck that if i don't feel safe and i can't see people that i'm bringing around here feeling safe then we're not gonna do this party and a lot of djs don't have that in them mm-hmm. and honestly like this is why we have the homies calls and all that sort of stuff i only really enjoy djing for the homies and i i've i have gone on mics being like hey bro you creepy chill <laughs> and it's not a fun feeling because like now there's a potential i have to fight someone but like Knowing that Ashley's out here doing that, hey, bro, you creepy early, <laughs> like pre-cogging <laughs> it, like minority reporting it has always been super dope to see. So tell me about your journey into that, because DJing could be just a check and just having fun. But you really also care about the clientele and the people who are there. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say, because uh, when you brought up the Travis Scott concert, it reminded me of something I remembered which was when I was like 20 years old being at a rat attack concert at Terminal 5, mm-hmm. which if you've never been to Terminal 5, it's just like a lawless venue. It's just, a, I mean, it was. I don't know what it's like today. I don't even know if it's still open. I'm pretty sure it's still open, I, but lawless is probably the most correct. Totally lawless to land of just like electronic music at the time when I was going, you know, going there and... I remember it being so packed this one time that I literally, I was also in the right in the middle of the crowd. I don't know who I was back then. I really like just thinking about that gives me (laughs) the worst anxiety, but I was in the middle of the crowd and I just was like lifted off of my feet because of how packed it was. I could not feel the the ground. (laughs) I was just like, flying floating for a moment but it was terrifying that was and jesus trying to lift you up out of that club <laughs> <laughs> and into he a better like, get party out. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, come with me child as, as two muslims we brought up jesus maybe a few too many times like I, I feel like i'm gonna get my phone <laughs> it's gonna be an imam <laughs> being like you have to come down <laughs> ah. no but i mean I, that that experience was nothing compared to what those people, I'm sure, what the, the trauma that those people experienced. So I just wanted to acknowledge 
that for yeah. a moment because yeah. I mean I had I had no idea that something like that would happen uh <laughs> that I would witness something like that happening uh in my lifetime while being a DJ but it's definitely a motivation to like work with spaces in a more intentional way but in terms of um I mean, when I first started DJing, I wasn't thinking necessarily about spaces the way I am today. I was thinking, I just really love music and I like telling stories and I think DJing is an amazing way to tell stories. But I realized that like part of my purpose in this life is to create space for myself to like go inwards and then also create space for my friends to come together and create space for community to come together. And I just didn't grow up with a strong like sense of community, really. Mm -hmm. Um, My family was, you know, like we we were an immigrant family in a predominantly uh, white town. And so it was just like we did what we had to to fit in. And I didn't really even know any Arabs or Muslims uh, in a close way growing up. So when I really was like trying to discover something new with my music and the way that I was connecting with sound, um, I just returned to Arabic music because it was something that I knew like in my heart would make me super happy. Mm. And I also found it really enjoyable to like mix Arabic sounds with songs that I loved and that kind of like represented more of the American culture that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started just like (laughs) literally playing those songs in bars. Like I would just be playing at like Robert bar and I would drop like an Arabic track in the middle of my set to this bar that was like mostly white people like nobody knew any of this music and people were vibing with it and I was like oh that's cool um and then you know social media ended up connecting me with a lot of um incredible DJs that were like me like you know kind of towing these two different cultures through music and um I ended up connecting with my DJ partner for uh well, I, I met somebody named Carmen, who is also an Egyptian-American DJ, and we started this party together called Hezza, um, that at the when we first started it, we were just like, let's play Arab and Afro beats. Like, this yeah. is going to be so fun, because the music goes really well together. But since then, the project has really evolved to become um, a way to, like, connect to like build bridges between Southwest Asia and African like sounds and Mm -hmm. also diasporas. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are, you know, the people that come to our parties and that's the type of music that we play. Um, And I say also diaspora is like really important to the work that we're doing, not only because we are the diaspora creating Mm -hmm. these spaces, but because like the, (laughs) the, uh, Arab diaspora and the African diaspora, like yeah. the sounds are vast, oh, you definitely. know, like you can kind of cover like ton, like a bunch of different genres, um, of music and it's just really fun to explore. Yeah. 
That that'd be blowing mine because at the end of the day, people would be like, oh, African music. Oh, you mean like the Black Panther soundtrack? I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> <laughs> Another reference for Jesus on this podcast. <laughs> we are now at four. <laughs> We're getting paid by Big Jesus. <laughs> um, no, but ultimately, that's uh, like I, I think that that's similarly, and I think we've never really talked about it, but similarly. Like, I, pop culture was my way to connect with people who I did not have a lot in common American-wise with. So whether it was rap music or, you know, all that or Rugrats or Rocket Power or Pokemon, whatever, I could, pop culture, I, like, I am a repository of references because I just consumed as much content as possible <laughs> to seem like a person who was quote-unquote normal, but I also grew up listening to like Yusundur and, you know, Ami Koita and Kofi Lumide, like all these like West African artists. And, you know, my mom had him playing all the time. There's like a lot of like, uh, my dad listened to a lot more like jazz and funk from the, you know, the era that he was growing up and coming up. And my mom listened to a lot more of traditional Mauritanian music um, and just having those sounds always in my mind, it felt like a piece of me that I was like, I can't talk to any of these kids about this. Like they're out here talking about fucking crazy that soldier boy. I'm like, have you heard the good word? Amikoita. <laughs> 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 and of course they haven't. You know, there's not a lot of exposure to that here. So I think what you're doing, and you know, what a lot of DJs who are trying to like bring those sounds from around the world, whether it is through a boiler room set or at a bar in Brooklyn, like that's like that's always been impressive. And yeah, I mean, you've heard my sets. I'll be. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna burn any of these fucking mixes on this podcast. So you can. And steal them. I know. I know. Right now, Questlove is listening, being like, "Yo, Jesus, you hear this? <laughs> yo, yo, Jesus, they, that, I never heard that track. Find that, Google it." Um, but like, I, I think that when I hear you DJ, I hear uniqueness. I don't hear what I've heard other people play. I've heard songs that like I'm like, yeah, I know that song. Oh, I know that remix. I know that. But your combinations and the way that you look at music is already much more interesting than like these two beats go together. And I think that's where you start, right? It's like these sounds go together. And then over time, it's like, it, like you said, it, there's a connection to you in all those transitions. And like when you hear me going from like Rihanna tracks into playing like Paramore, <laughs> you know who I was <laughs> in 2000. Like I know who you still are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like people be like, you forgot where you came from. They're like, that panic of the disco yeah bro (laughs) never forget that i was too scared to be a seed kid like it's it's yeah yeah djing can can do all that sort of stuff but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think uh creating a space that is safe is also a thing that we also both vibe on like one of the the mandates is to create more space than you take up and i think that djing is a good way to do that because you are creating the space literally and you're also inviting people into that space so they can have a space to be seen and like you said the diaspora is important not everyone is from the mainland continent not everybody is from united states people in the uk and the caribbean all these sounds especially like drum patterns yeah so much similarity and also so much difference and it varies all across all the continents and i think that when i go to a latinx night and i'm hearing you know music from brazil versus you know listening to reggaeton or listening to like dance hall i'm just like now it's like 
hearing all of the, I'm not saying dance holes, Latinx sound, but it's like hearing all these sounds come together. It's like, it's beautiful. It's yeah. like, it's, it's the sound of us. Totally. <laughs> and totally. I think that that is always, that always makes me feel good. And, you know, never want to be like the music hipster and be like, yo, we was on this list around the world <laughs> shit before y'all. Y'all, y'all was busy listening to your Avril Lavines. All right. <laughs> and, and now you know who Popcon is. <laughs> like, I don't want to be that person. But like, um, it, it, it's, it's sometimes it, it's, it's, it rather than be like, oh, now nah, you don't get to enjoy this. I'm just happy that there's a time where people can enjoy it. Yeah. Because, you know, when I was a kid, it wasn't cool to be African only no. because no one knew what it was. And I think that there weren't a lot of like references to African culture. There's a Pan-African movement, but it, it sometimes wasn't as inclusive of people from the continent of Africa. Like people would go to Africa and they'd come back wearing like the necklaces and stuff like that and be like, we need to be with our brothers and sisters in Africa. Mm. And then they're like, where are they? Like, they're still there. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that was hip hop. <laughs> like uh. But um, I think that like now seeing like the crossovers and, you know, not even just like the big, business you know big capital c crossovers but also seeing it on the dance floor and hearing it and our favorite canadian bacon drake uh <laughs> his music and hearing like even like uk drill music and yeah. new york drill music even though it's wild violent and they be out here being like you said this about my mom i'm gonna kill you and oh that's all their songs <laughs> um and they do the, their little dances on reddit and stuff like that but like it's still a reminder like there's a lot especially diaspora there's still a lot of close similarities and we still take from each other and we yep. still it's it is a sharing space and i think that's what i always appreciate about like what you've cultivated with Hazza, but also in general as a DJ, seeing what you're continuing to try to cultivate. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that you said too that I feel like we didn't touch upon enough is like the narrative of music. Like, you know, I am telling you who I am when I'm DJing. Um, is yeah. there, uh, when did you start incorporating that into it? Um, well, it's interesting because I... I don't think it was like super intentional. I think it just came from being really pure about the way I was playing music. Like okay. I, <laughs> I still do this when I'm preparing music. Sometimes I just end up crying. I don't know if it's like a side effect of ADHD or like <laughs> me just being genuinely mm. into what I'm doing, but like I get so overwhelmed with emotion when I'm listening to music and like putting sounds together and I like devise stories in my head of why that happens. And in my head, I'm like, oh, it's because like my spirit is really happy right now. Like yeah. my spirit feels like it's actually being listened to and like, you know, like it's taking charge rather than like my ego or, mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever else is responsible for my creative output sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so when I, when I do end up like, getting really lost in music and but in a way that's not like disconnected from people because the story is really about like connection to the music me connecting to the music mm -hmm. sharing that music it being received mm -hmm. and then the reaction around how it's received being like sent back to me like mm -hmm. just energetically yeah. um and that's the story yeah. To me, it's not like because I write stories for a living. Yeah. So yeah. like I know how to tell stories in linear ways, but this is like a different type of storytelling. 
Yeah, one thing that I was told, I didn't quite understand it, and it still sometimes grinds my gears. I had a mentor for a program who's like, every story's already been told. It's just how you put your spin on it. And I was like, well, that's a very head-ass way to look at this situation. Because mm. I was like, you know, writing a script, it made me reticent to, like, really share with this person. But, like, it is a way, like, that. that's how I feel. I think that we both, I'm, I can confidently say that we both have introverted qualities. <laughs> where we, say, we would like to be left alone, please. And <laughs> uh, when you see us, you don't. So uh, when it comes to, like, parties and stuff like that, I know, especially through therapy and stuff like that, that I don't like going to parties and just talking to people. I it, Honestly bottom 10 things in my life that I've ever done <laughs> like conversations to people <laughs> PU get me out of there <laughs> but when I'm DJing like I have especially as a Muslim someone who didn't drink who didn't smoke wasn't really like into all that other shit like um it was a way for me to be at the party without being at the party yes and yeah. also it was a way for me to it's a call and response I'm playing music being like this is who I am this is like what I'm about this is the music that I like playing da 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 and then as a response people are either dancing and if they're not it's like either I am not doing a good job or I'm not talking to my people yeah and I think that um, yeah there's a lot of people who want to become DJs with the commercial aspects of it because like if you get to a certain level or like some people really bang with you, you could be making like a lot of bread, but there is nothing that makes me happier than seeing a dance floor full of people that I know and don't know who are having a good time mm-hmm. and nothing puts the battery in my back more than that. And, yeah. you know, if I'm playing like, and that's, a, and you've, you, I've been to your parties, you've been to mine. When you can tell when someone like gives you that look like, Real shit, you playing that right now? <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing, That's nothing literally feels better. The high of all oh, highs. Oh gosh, dog, like that is that is put. That's like putting seventeen needles in each arm, baby. Like I'm like that's straight sweet lady H straight to my body every time that someone look like when someone especially oh dude especially another DJ. Another DJ comes up is like, hey, I'd like to you to come like, you know, some nights I can't DJ. You know, you want to DJ for me? And like, I'm like, oh yeah, let me just come to one of your nights, see if we like vibe and go there. And like, he's like a fire DJ. I'm just like, oh my God, ah. that's a nice compliment to me. <laughs> right. Me? You think I'm that bitch? You think I can play for you? Like, oh, it feels great. And um, I think that like, uh, as, as a person who genuinely wants everyone to have a good time to see that moment <laughs> where everyone is having a good time is the best yeah and then that moment where someone makes it weird is the worst <laughs> <laughs> and um you know it, it, it it's new york this is, you're gonna encounter yep. so many different types of people but like do you have any stories about just a party that was going everything was going fine until it wasn't honestly um I'm trying to think because, I mean, I sort of took a break from DJing last year. And I I was DJing, but I was playing, like, pretty much only community events. Um, I really don't, I really don't think I've ever, like, dealt with anyone who was, like, weird. I mean, like, I, I've felt unsafe in, like, club spaces just mm-hmm. because it's dark and... I also used to have really long hair and people would pull my hair, which was fucking weird. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't while I was DJing. That okay. was just being in the club. That was being- <laughs> Yo, you just got to charge that one to the club. 
Honestly, that would be a fire MTV story. Like, so it's like <laughs> club stories, but it, it's not like the wow. It's just microaggressions. It's like, hey, some one time a guy bumped me in my back. I turned around and gave him a death stare, and he oh walked away. God. And that's just the club. For so. real though, um, I went to an of Montreal concert one time, mm-hmm. and I remember getting into a fist fight with a guy <laughs> who actually like put his whole body on me. Like he wasn't. I don't know. He must have been on drugs or something yeah. because he wasn't like behaving coherently. Yeah. But I was like, fuck that. Like, get off of me. And I just punched the shit out of him. Dog, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. No. It's okay. She's not. Pr- I'm proud of it. So here's the thing. He got carried away in, oh, by gosh. the bouncers. Oh, so damn. I knew I was right. You, you Mike Tyson punched out this man. That's insane. Yo, what's insane to me is that you're over here like, I'm not proud of it. I don't and I'm over here like, Dog. listen, I do not encourage violence. And all I do is condone it all the time. <laughs> like, no, I, I, I'm just saying that like the only thing better than another DJ saying, yo, that's a good selection is hearing that you hooked off on some dude in the club i have never like we we talked about this and especially in our our own personal healing journeys and like you know coming to terms with emotions and stuff like that i think that me djing is a good place for me to be because i don't do well with being uh, jostled I don't yeah. like being jostled. I don't, I don't blame like being you. touched. I don't <laughs> like neither. and I've had very negative traumatic experiences being just like touched by people in the club, but also like it is like I know I'm I'm vividly aware of my positionality as a black man, how it's gonna look if I wild out on somebody. But I just know if you see me wild out, if you see me on New York one, like it's because I was provoked. <laughs> like <laughs> like I'll know. I'll like, be like, damn, he was j- provoked. Just know if like just Covington is interviewing me and I'm in the back of the cab. You're like, is that Mamadou? And I'm just like, just know I'll do that shit again. I don't care what fucking song is playing. It could be Alanis Morissette. I'm hooking off. Don't touch me. <laughs> like, that's why I'm behind the DJ booth. And I think that people would be like, come out and dance. It's like, if I come out and dance, I'm going to come out and fight too. <laughs> like, you got you, you to gotta have the yin and the Everyone's got to know their place yeah, exactly. in the club. No, it's, it's a big play, basically. Yes. There's I different can't... characters. and Yeah, oh, 100%. It is a play. And uh, a lot of people just don't know how to play their part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, okay, so I'm playing the part of, it says here in the script, creepy guy number two. And it's like, yeah, but you could also just be having fun. <laughs> like, you do not need to, you do, don't touch her, don't touch her. He goes like, the situation says I should touch her. I'm like, you're reading a different script. I feel like you wrote that script and brought it with you. <laughs> like, there's no reason for you to do that. Um, yeah, it's like DJing has been um, great release. Sadly, couldn't do it as much during the pandemic. But um, speaking of like before, when we're talking about emotions and stuff like that. How are you feeling emotionally? Because it is, there's a lot going on. And I think that like, you know, as you know, things have changed a little in the last year or the pandemic and everything, you've been able to go out and DJ. But like, I know that we had a lot of time alone, a lot of time to like think about shit that was going on. So like, how you feeling? What's going on? Well, uh, honestly, I'm at a place in my process right now where I'm just uh, coming to terms with the fact that I've spent so much of my time as a person on this planet making myself tiny Mm -hmm. as small as possible. Um, And I've made steps to, or taken steps to not be that way. Part of that was becoming a DJ. Part of that was really stepping into my craft as an artist. 
And I think during the pandemic, I really leaned into that heavy with just like painting and writing. I started my newsletter, like uh, still making music, still DJing, even when I couldn't be out and about doing that. But yeah, I, I just, I keep coming up to these moments where I'm like, I thought I figured this thing out. And then actually I've just been like normalizing like a really unhealthy dynamic with myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the thing people don't talk about is like, like, yeah, we all know toxic people who like are, uh, whatever you want to call them. I don't want to call them abusers because they might not be, but like possess toxic traits and commit, you know, unsafe acts towards you or whatever. But I think what is sort of missing from that conversation is like, I actually am capable of being really abusive to myself Mm -hmm. and um, I'm trying to not be that way. So like that's where my head's at. Mm-hmm. I'm really I feel really sensitive these days around certain energies um and like you know people maybe that I used to be totally cool hanging out with and all of a sudden I'm like whoa I feel really intense or like my body's telling me something and usually it's it's not even like oh there's something wrong with that person that sign when my body starts to like when my heart rate starts to pick up and I start to feel kind of sick, it's usually because my body's telling me, why are you making yourself small around this person? Why aren't you like being the way that you're, you know, you are with your family or like, why, why are you hiding? Um, and so like, I've, I've been just really trying to catch those moments, like become more aware of those moments and Mm -hmm. offer myself kindness and think about ways that I could reapproach those relationships and for the most part it's been great like Mm -hmm. I've changed a couple of the ways that I engage with people in my life Mm -hmm. and like they've welcomed it it's not like they've been like who the fuck is this person yeah you know they're mostly like we love it when you're honest like we want to hear your thoughts we want to we want you to feel comfortable Um, and that's what people who love you will say. say, Yeah. No, I, well, one, thanks for sharing. Uh, two, incredibly resonant. I'm in a very similar space where, you know, and if you get to see this project that me and Ja are working on sooner rather than later, um, it's about that. It's about ultimately once you've waded through all the things in your life that have been toxic, abusive, scary to you. For me, it's been like racism. It's been, you know, generally police violence, just microaggressions from white people who who think that they know better, but they absolutely don't. Family stuff. It's like I got to the point where it's like I'm a lot of those things are settled. Now it's me versus me. And um, it's not a fun place to be in because, you know, you know, the brain's a motherfucker. Like, it's very good at <laughs> making a different story or finding a way. Like, the brain's main purpose is to navigate you in a survival mode to the next thing. Yeah. Like, everything else is what you make of it. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that, like, for me, especially with that making myself smaller sort of thing, I, sp- I mean, it's different, but I think there's a similar sort of 
thing where I'm trying to make myself more visible and feel like I can take up more space. But also there's that balance of like, don't take up too much space because you're a dude and you're in a lot of spaces that are either, you know, female dominated, but or just dominated in a space where like maybe you should not be the loudest person. I'm trying to find what that it's all about calibration. And Mm -hmm. also once you calibrate for this room, it's not going to be the same. It's like DJs like you play this set for this room, but they're going to love it. You might go over here and like. The staff of J.P. Morgan Chase is like, ah, so no chain smokers? <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. And that's slander to J.P. Morgan and Chase. I don't, I don't bank with you, so fuck y'all. But um, basically, um, that is where I am, too, with that part of, like, figuring out how much space to take. But also just, like, a fear of over-visibility. I feel the last time that I was super, vi- felt super visible, I hated it. And I've been talking about it on the podcast, but in general in life. But, like... I, you know, we met when I did stand up, and I think that we met at a time where I didn't love myself doing stand up. Mm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. fact that you enjoyed it and then we built a friendship out of it is a testament to like we've consistently course corrected, put boundaries down, mm-hmm. remove boundaries because we realize some things about ourselves, or you know, realize, oh, well, now that I've known you for this long and I trust you and I feel this, let's we can go do these sorts of things and opened up. And you've met, you said it earlier, you met some of my friends, you're like, I want to play for them too. So we, yeah. it, it's been always nice to do that. But I think that um, at that time in my life, I just didn't want to be visible at all. And I think that that invisibility was harming me. And on top of that, just not feeling like I had a safe space to process trauma and feeling like I didn't want to trauma dump on people or uh, I was scared of the, <laughs> the all too New York trauma bond. Where oh it's like, God. oh damn, we're best friends for four months and now we're enemies and we unfollow each other on Twitter. <laughs> Things are over. <laughs> Russia, Ukraine, who? Now that's a war. Um, but basically, wow. I just don't want those things. So now that I've like really, I'm an intellectualizer. I can find every word in every book to really explain what's going on with me, but not actually do the thing. I'd be like, well, someone's about to shoot me in the face. And it's like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I, I just told you what's happening. Like, <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, yeah. That's like one of the funniest things about being your friend. I just like watch when you intellectualize and I'm just like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, you got a good brain. Uh, dog, it's, it, I got, it's, it's good to a point. Like, because at some point your brain needs to stop doing like, you know, the quadratic equation and just put the hands up and fight someone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I've always always been um you know i've been in this sort of like box of don't let your emotions get too happy or too sad or too like if you're too angry it could be fatal for you if you're too happy it could be stolen away from you so don't go even in that direction oh and if you're too sad then people won't want to hang out with you so i've always been putting myself in this little box but in the years since I really shed a lot of people I did not need to be around and really thought about why those people made me feel unsafe. Friendships that I would have felt like, oh yeah, this is fine. It's cool. And then being like, oh nah, you like, you like actually someone that I don't trust being happy around. I Mm. can't really say anything about me without you making it about you Mm -hmm. or just generally make me unsafe. I'm now in a place where I don't have a lot of those people in my life and I've been able to like, I hate saying cultivate because it makes me feel like I've just like constructed a better <laughs> constructed an art project of friendships but it's like i have i i'm i'm fortunate enough much like my multi-hyphenate friend here uh to navigate gate a lot of different worlds like but and not all of those worlds are gonna have people that are dope but like 
I found like some of the dope people in those worlds that I like seeing and being around. And I, in doing so, I learned what makes me feel safe and what makes me feel happy. But I now know the trigger, like you said, the sudden onset panic attack when you're like, why are you not advocating yourself? Mm-hmm. Why are you not saying shit? Are you really trying to go back there? Like my body is telling my brain, yo, stop doing yep. what you're used to doing. Stop using that shortcut. It's not serving you anymore. Yep. And, you know, to the point where like, and we talked about this and I'm, there's no shame about it for me. It's that like, I had to go to a psychiatrist the second time. First time I went, dude was like, all right, uh, cool. We're going to give you Xanax and also so love and, da, da, da. and I'm just like, cool. My name is Mamadou. Why are you already giving me drugs? Um, also you're really cool. <laughs> If I was a high school on Euphoria, but <laughs> um, basically uh, this new psychiatrist, you know, helped me, you know, she doesn't really know me, but like prescribed me Xanax. And now I have that as like a backup tool in case I don't want to use it. I hate, I hate mind altering anything for me personally. I don't care if any, any other else does it, but like generally like being at that place where like now I can just, I know that like okay, that is a trigger for this. Get out of the situation. Yeah. Uh, th- that is a trigger for this. Don't talk to that person. It has been very helpful. And you know, what's funny is that there's some people who don't even know that they're very triggering for me. Mm-hmm. And It's not their fault, it's necessarily. Not their fault. Exactly. No, I mean, actually, your triggers are, like, our triggers are our responsibility to yeah, manage. Exactly. And, you know, there's some people, if I see them on the street and they see me running away, they're like, didn't you just get knee surgery? And I'd be like, yep, <laughs> but that's how much I don't want to be around you, my friend. <laughs> I have relearned how to run. <laughs> Last time I saw you, I was very upset. So, um, yeah. no, it's, that's, that. I feel like we're on, we're on similar parallel journeys in that sort of way because you know i think that is part of the reason why we've been able to be friends because we can there's like a reciprocal vulnerability and it took time to build we didn't do it in a weekend mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't do it in a weekend over a dollar slice outside of max fish and lower east side drunk <laughs> just as fuck drunk <laughs> as fuck be like oh my god is that two chains i, I love, love you. that <laughs> i'm just pretending to be drunk because i don't drink but oh my god like <laughs> i think we're gonna be friends for a very long time like two maybe three days and um yeah like those that's like your 20s in new york though and i think that like i had those friendships for for sure at, Definitely. at I had some point relationships yeah where i was like oh at the end where i was like oh wow really what i remember from us getting on is that we both were sad yeah <laughs> and i just this is this is a shameless plug for the weekend thank you for getting me through my <laughs> 20s oh by my being sad with us yes um, no and it's just like i think that it's just that's part of the process especially in a culture where we're not taught to like do these things like boundaries and you know mental health check-ins and shout out to the people who grew up with all of that but like it is hard gen z yeah yo (laughs) shout out to gen z y'all are just mentally resilient like (laughs) like if someone said yo do you want to fight this bear or this group of like 19 year olds (laughs) <laughs> yo, me, me Throw me and, with the bear Yo, me and Smokey going at it, bro I'm like, yo, okay, teach me how to prevent forest fires I'm going after that nigga right now uh, No, it's It, it is um, it, It's a gift to have been able to grow Alongside you and also have our other Friends that are also growing in the ways They, they need to and I think that like um, Generally um, 
I think we're both at a point in our life where we're kind of like, it's not like settling down, but we're settling into who we are. And like you said, having not having those communities around you when you're younger mm-hmm. that like really make you step into who you are in all parts of yourself. You, you're going to grow up not really being, you're, I wouldn't say a shell of yourself, it's not unfair, but like you're not growing up with the, your full capabilities. You got one infinity stone. Yeah. Like the it's reality real. stone. The reality, what's the reality? You're basically <laughs> turning the reality to be like, hey, let's not talk about 9-11. Let's talk about Pokemon. You like Squirtle? I love Squirtle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't look at the TV. Turn it off. Uh, that's that was, that was part of my childhood. And, you know, also shout out to like the, the allies who when you bring uh, food that has flavor and seasoning in it, they're like, oh, shit, I got to eat this fucking disgusting square slice of pizza from, and you got egg rolls from home. And they're just like, yo, can I have some? Instead of being like, ah, this person eating things that are good for them, they're going to live forever and not be wrinkly at the age <laughs> of 13. Um, I do appreciate those people, but it, there's nothing like having your people around you. Yeah. And, you know. How how was your journey of like finding that that community? Because I think we've both talked about seeking safety in our friendships and being yeah. able to do that thing where you set a boundary or say this, and then people will give you. But can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Well, it's interesting because I feel like um, I mean I'm not gonna. I don't. I I'm not like someone who's always been really good at making friends like when I was really young like I I was kind of a loner um for different reasons definitely just like feeling really different and outside uh, in the town I was growing up in but then I started making some friends and whatever things got better but like in my 20s I remember always kind of being intentional about the friendships that I was seeking out and I I remember one time learning from someone like a a person I was close with at one point who was like, yeah, I actually just like really struggle to like my friends. Like I I have a difficult time liking the people that I'm friends with. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of like checked that with a couple other people. I remember like just asking people like, do you like your friends? And it seemed like a lot of people don't actually like their friends And I've been trying to understand why that is. And I think what I just described earlier, like, actually could be part of it. Like, if you're just, like, silencing yourself a lot Mm -hmm. and, like, you get used to a certain dynamic, it's, like, the same way as being in a romantic relationship with somebody who, like, you, you and that person both showed each other versions of yourself that you thought the other person was going to like and then you get comfortable in that dynamic Mm -hmm. and then you have no idea how to get out of it you don't know how to show them your real side Mm -hmm. and so then I could totally see like you know that just turning into resentment and like me hating my friends but thank god I don't feel that way I I really do love my friends I and the moments where I've felt frustrated with them, I knew it was my problem. <laughs> I had yeah. to do some self-reflection. Um, but I don't know. I just, I guess I've always been really, I've always felt really grateful for the people that end up in my life. Because, like I said, you know, it wasn't always really easy to connect with people in the way that I'm connecting now. And it wasn't always safe to be vulnerable and I think every single one of my close friendships is a vulnerable friendship. And Mm -hmm. I also think like 
you got to be you got to be careful with who you're vulnerable with, you know. Dog. <laughs> One that's beautiful, and I want to say that I disagree with you entirely. But <laughs> I hate I hate all my no <laughs> no. I love all of my friends, I really do, and it that's like one of my biggest fears in the world is like I was vulnerable with the wrong person, and that person is going to to use that as a as an emotional bomb at a point where I don't need that to happen. Yeah. And that is a fear that has like guided a lot of decisions in my life in a weird way. And I don't I don't enjoy that. Um but you know if they did that, that's more a reflection on their character than yours. It's a reflection on their character, but also it's like I, I don't know how you specifically grew up, but I feel like there may be similarities in that sort of like you keep family stuff yeah. family and you know there are people that I was like this is a relationship because like I don't really want to just like hook up with someone and be done it's not my and we've talked about this like it's not my prerogative I genuinely wanted a relationship with anyone that I've had any sort of romantic interest in because it's like oh and I think that it's hard because it's that thing where you're um Again, you're trying to find the pieces and parts of somebody else that, you know, reflect you and help yep. bring you out. But sometimes, that, especially with the rose-colored glasses, you miss all the other stuff. And yeah. now you've spent several months, weeks, however, becoming close to somebody who now when it's over, like, I think it's hard because, like, you know, I definitely have trust issues from information about my life being, you know, not just not weaponized, but told to people that I don't trust. And yeah. the friends of mine who, like, they'll dish and spill about this person said this, this person said this and I'm just like oh that's wow wow damn that's crazy and when you're on your like 17th day I'm that's crazy you're like you realize like wow if I tell them anything then that's what they're doing about exactly. me everywhere else yeah. and I can't tell you how I'm feeling but for instance I have somebody who I know who I'm pretty sure is like wow like you don't really talk to me you don't want to hang out with me anymore is that really how you feel but it really is because whenever we hang out I never want to tell you something that's dope that's happening mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. I never want to tell you anything that's bad happening in my life because you're not calibrated to care about other people. And for one, I wish that was just a me thing. I wish that other people hadn't told me the same story after I was like, yo, I feel like this is like, yo, really? Me too. And I'd be like, oh, and the thing is we don't really talk about that. And it's also hard to like come to that person and be like, hey, me and... 31,000 of your friends um, <laughs> or down the block. Um, we have to talk to you <laughs> because now we're the ops, we're the enemies. And I think that, all, you know, we, we both have taken hiatuses from, um, hi hiatai? Hiatuses. Uh, from, <laughs> hiatai is just Haiti. Um, <laughs> but we have taken hiatuses from social media. Yeah. And I think that like, that was also a place where it's just like, I don't, like that people can like mask their intention under the guise of like what seems like banal friendship mm -hmm. and it isn't that or like when you start seeing people's patterns like how they interact with people what they react to and i hate saying that as a full reflection of who they are it's actually a reflection of the culture that it, we've kind of cultivated on social media in the last few years but it just made me really feel um not safe in a lot of different ways because like when I was vulnerable <laughs> with people, they'd be like, that was powerful. Bitch, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I want to <I> help. <laughs> over here. It's like, wow, that really moved me. Nigga, it didn't move us closer together. It moved, it moved that way, nigga. I did not want right. you to be in my life. And I just, that, it, it felt artificial. So to have those vulnerable, close friendships and to also like, 
move some of these friendships like hey bro if you can't like be real with me how you feeling or like hey girl like sometimes when you say this and this it makes me feel like this to have those people like oh shit I didn't really realize that and then our friendship continues to either get stronger or sometimes you know I won't say fizzles out but it's like yeah just don't talk about that you can feel it too I, I always feel that shift when I'm like Okay, I brought up something that I didn't like, mm-hmm. and the way it was received mm-hmm. was weird. Yeah. And then we stopped talking as much. Yo, dog. And when those texts start to slow down, uh-huh. like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yep. Good. How you doing? Like a week later. Yeah, oh, gosh. It's, it's the worst. Because, like, you know, gen- genuinely, like, I think, and this is a reflection of my community. I'll speak from my own experience. But, like, when I came to New York, a lot of my community was like DJs and, you know, improv comedians. And, um, I will, I've said this before, it's like, there's just an element of drama club to any art community in general. There just is, unfortunately. But I just, I remember the, I remember the day and I'll probably write about it not to get into it here, but like, um, where like everything shifted for me when I realized, Oh, I don't know you motherfuckers. Like I just, we just be around each other. We're not like homies. Um, but ultimately like lots of those friendships where I was just like, wow, when I like, and you know, intellectualizer, I'm out here, intellectual, <laughs> Windows, brain is running, Windows 95, baby, um, <laughs> defragmenting my hard drive, going through text messages, and I'm scrolling through, and I'm like, wow, a lot of your, our text message conversations are me hearing what you have to say, or you requesting, hey, can you come, like, do this and this for me, and we'd be like, yeah, I got you, and there's not a reciprocity, or you telling me, oh, it's crazy that you get this opportunity, Hopefully one day I'll get that opportunity. And I'm like, yeah, you will. But then feeling like, wow, is the only reason we were friends because we got this opportunity? Because when someone Mm -hmm. else did, I see our text messages started slowing down. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I hate that that was where my, like when I was like trying to find out what is wrong with me, what is going on? I just wanted to like, how do I interact with people? Mm -hmm. And it was not taking up that space, not saying those things. And there are some people who, you know, they were, they, I feel like they, are growing and changing at their own pace. And I'm sure there's space to reconcile or to at least have like a closing arguments type conversation in the future. But there's a lot of people where I'm just like, hey dog, like ultimately like you do you, I'll do me and neither of us will do each other. And that will be great. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not fun. We, and there's no language for friend breakups, No, especially in the, uh, the, the online sort of like endless relationship that you have with people who are like, yeah, hey, remember this person you met in middle school? <laughs> well, they're married right now. And guess what? It, <laughs> to a dog. Right. And you're like, Facebook, <laughs> I, I really don't want to think about this person anymore. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's very, um, it's a very weird time right now. And maybe, and I think that like, we are also, you know, not to give our ages away, but we are uh, young and dumb and 17 years old. No, we are, um, you know, in our late 20s, early 30s type vibe. I think that's like a transition point for your life, too, where you mm-hmm. kind of like around the people that you want to be around for most of your life. I'm not saying that it's not possible for you to um, make new friends, but like you cannot like the formative years form bonds <laughs> with people. And it's sad when you have those formative years, those bonds that you formed or thought you formed kind of just like fizzle out because it's like, damn, now I got to make new friends. Yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, 
I was thinking about this yesterday because one of the people that I went to nowadays with was a friend I've had for a decade. And another person that came with us is a brand new friend. He's someone I met through the DJ scene and we've really connected through music, very similar to you and I. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was... It was really funny because the new friend, like I was giving him the story of how we all know each other. Mm -hmm. And he was like, wow, you guys have been friends for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And both of us were like, yeah, it's like really not many people who've survived the 10 years (laughs) in our lives here in New York. (laughs) Man, I have like maybe two friends like that. Yeah. You know, we're, hey, listen, five. We're doing, we're doing great. We're halfway there, so like, we're let's let's keep the machine going. Mm-hmm. But man, it is. I'm hard. a Taurus though, so I kind of stick I, around. I, what? Okay, okay, good, good, good. I was like, I know. I was like, I was like in my mind, when I hear zodiac stuff, sometimes I'm like, all right, Taurus. Okay, that's a bull. All right, what do bulls do? Oh my God, bulls knock people over if they're wearing red. Okay, fuck, I can't wear red around Ashley because she will push me over a bridge, and then we will not be friends. Like my mind goes to the weirdest ways. Cause I knew you were gonna say that. No. That or gang shit. Cause oh. yo, zodiac shit is gang shit. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but when people were like, wow, gang violence, I can't even believe it. I'm like, I see Zodiac violence on the streets every <laughs> day. Are you seeing it? Like, <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's definitely some yak, 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 yak shit, like every single time. But hey, I, I'm not, again, I'm not slandering it. I'm just saying that like, I, high school football, gang shit. Yeah. Plus and Crips, gang shit. Scorpios and everyone else. <laughs> gang shit <laughs> like you know what i mean like it just it all it always is gang shit so no 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 nah, but seriously like i feel like, like well, seriously, it's really easy to keep me around because i'm a taurus oh well listen um i am a libra which means i think uh that i'm balanced and i like justice so um as long as you know you're around a balance beam or in front of a courthouse we can be friends Perfect. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I genuinely, um, you know, I cherish our friendship, but I think that like, uh, not but, and I think that like friendships are hard to navigate even more so in this day and age um, because there's just so many other obstacles in the way outside of like, um, I think that we're all on emotional journeys and trying to figure out our healing what, using whatever we from Instagram, from books, from therapy, put it together. But I think that sometimes we come to like conclusions that uh, it depends on like where you're getting your information from. And I think that mm-hmm. some people come to conclusions that might be not as, um, I want to say, I want to say not as informed because everyone knows their own story. But I think that like sometimes it's like, oh, I learned about this and this. You're the problem. And then the friendship ends. You're like, what the fuck? And they come back later. Hey, I was wilding. <laughs> it's like, I was on Instagram one night, you know, had a few Malbecs, <laughs> learned about uh-huh. gaslighting. And, you know, and then I was, and then, yeah, then, whoops. <laughs> then I threw the grenade into our friendship. So you trying to hang out? Ooh, <laughs> Notice what's on your wedding invite. <laughs> it's kind of wow. No, it's hard. I I, th- I don't think it's harder now than it's all ever been to have to you know do friendship, but I do think that we have a lot more um, pieces of information about ourselves that are decontextualized by the internet, and also pieces of information about ourselves that like can be interpreted 
rather than because I feel like the battle right now is intention versus interpretation that yeah. can be interpreted in a certain way that you're like that's not how I meant it and I feel like if we were friends you'd be able to like chop this up but mm-hmm. I don't think we were yeah. and that's something I've been dealing with a lot how, you said you've been shedding friends though so like I, not, you don't have to bring up anyone but like been, how does that feel it's been like in a quieter way you know because I, t- I took a lot of time off of social media in the last couple of years I'm off of it right now because I can't be on it when there's wars uh, turns out yeah. <laughs> turns I out just, putting that Ukrainian flag in your Instagram story is not going to stop well, Vladimir Putin from doing anything but yeah I mean people do whatever they need to to comfort themselves right now and I yeah. I get it but yeah um I think taking well deleting my Twitter in 2020 was the best decision I ever made for Let's my have mental. A round of applause for deleting Twitter. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But then also just taking lots of time off of social media. I'm not. I I want to be like gentle about the way that I say this though because I feel like it could come off as like I'm better than other people. Like I, that's not how I'm trying to say this right now. What I mean is that like. For my mental health, I'm just I'm just not able to be online all the time. And I definitely was a person who was online all the time. And like I think a lot of our generation kind of was that way because we yeah. grew up with the start of the internet, you know? Yeah. And like that's how we like that was a part of how we were socialized. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really hard to have boundaries with the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really, really pig generation. Totally. Yeah. I'm not really good at it all the time. Like I definitely have an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I, I feel like I have to take time away, but having that space, I think has also really just like trimmed down the amount of people that I engage with naturally mm-hmm. because I don't, I am a really social person. I love people. Um, but like when I'm not, when I cut off a whole way that you have access to me, then yeah. if you don't seek me out, then we're not going to talk probably. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And you know me. I, too, have been off social media for a minute. And it is absolutely because I'm better than you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, I'm taller than you. I can read bigger words than you. Like, I can ride my bike faster than you down a hill. Like, I'm better than you. You know what I mean? Like, like when I look in the mirror, I see someone who is better than you. So, no... <laughs> No, I I think that like that is a misconception. I think that honestly setting a boundary for yourself with the internet, when someone says, "Oh, you think you're better than everyone else," that's that's something you're saying about that you feel like that's something you think about you and but that's not what I'm putting out in the world. I'm doing what works for me right now. And yeah. you know, August 2020, same thing. I saw the exact same conversations that were happening in 2016 about Trump and Biden happening again, and I was like, "Bro, I cannot I cannot come to this discourse again i honestly i'm sick of discourse i'm Mm -hmm. done with conversations i Mm -hmm. say what i need to say and then you say what you need to say and there's no back and forth this is not tennis i'm throwing a rock at a wall it falls down (laughs) bong that is a sport it's over (laughs) you know what i mean winter olympics add that to it but ultimately like that's that's part of the reason why i had to get off too is like i know too many niggas like and too many niggas think they know me because of the internet. And I think, you know, I was blessed enough to have built a following uh, due to, like, social justice and 
comedy in general, DJ, I want to remind people that I was doing DJing and talking about my own experience for a while. And then, you know, when it came to race and stuff like that, I was raised by a father who was an Africana studies professor, you know? And uh, I I grew up with activism in my blood and DNA, given my dad's work with demilitarization of, like, Africa. Like, that is his, like, passion. I've always grown up with that. So the sort of conversations that are, like, more diaspora and more, like, you know, you know, trying to link colonialism and, the, like, the transatlantic slave trade, like, trying to talk about, like, the pieces and parts where they have <laughs> fucked over the entire diaspora, those conversations we're happening now are things that I've lived with my entire life. But that all being said, I think that I never wanted to be DeRay McKesson. I never wanted to be Sean King. I didn't want to be like the one-stop shop, but that's what I became. And I think yeah. that social media has a way of also like whatever is garnering you more of a following or more attention, you keep doing that. And, and it polarizes you. And it polarizes you. And I think yeah. that like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and like, you know, Trump had some points. I never fucking say that in my life, but I have to sit here and like try, rather than sit here and have my decisions made for me by a group of people who... We all have similar experiences, but not exactly the same experiences, telling me how I feel about things or it, it expecting me to engage with something that I don't know a lot about, which is just setting myself up, putting an alley-oop off the backboard for me to fail. It just didn't feel like the right place. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel like... I felt like I was starting to overthink the way that I put things out into the world. And I was like, no, I, I used to be a person where I could just like say what I said and that's it. Mm. And now it's like an over explainer. It's like, oh, I don't mean to say this and I don't mean to say this. I don't mean to say this. Like, I'm saying what I'm going to say and I'm hopefully it is not, you know, inflammatory and da-da-da-da because I'm always trying to say it from a place of love and not harm. But if this was being left out, I will be able to do that. However, that's my intention and the interpretation of a lot of those things can be like, oh, don't forget this and this. Don't forget. And I'm just mm-hmm. like... I cannot include things that have not been in my experience. I, exactly. I feel a pressure too. And yeah. especially as like a, you know, a comic and a writer, I was like, I want to make things that are authentic, but the more that I try to be authenticity and inclusivity should not be at odds, but the more inclusive that I'm trying to be, the less authentic yep. it is. Cause now it feels like it's fake. And yep. you know, and it's, it, that, that is something that I was like, sick of doing publicly and then when i was going through things people being like either it was crickets or people like this was very brave thanks for sharing and i was like i appreciate you saying that uh but i'm really not doing this for attention i'm doing this as a cry for help and you know my my friend friends at that time were not great friend friends so like where else can i talk about this family situation was things were a little dicey at home so i couldn't really go there so i was like this is my place to go and it just wasn't didn't feel right but Mm -hmm. that all being said um yeah being off social media has trimmed off a lot of people that like people i went to a party last year for a friend's birthday i pull up to the party and this man haven't seen him in a year he comes up to me and goes like yo that tweet you did last week was hilarious and i was like i regret to inform you i've not been on social media for a year and a month at this point and he goes like really but you tweeted like a week ago i'm like nope i did not was i hacked yeah was i hacked went up there and i was just like um Russia, you motherfuckers, like, no, it was, <laughs> it was reminders, like, yo, you, we really haven't talked in a year, and I'm okay with it, mm-hmm. and I think that it's okay that not everyone is in your life all the time, and I think social media has made an unhealthy expectation of every single person's availability 
for your life, but also just like the unhealthy expectation of where they're supposed to, like what we're supposed to want and need from each other. Like when we talk about like manipulative tactics in mm-hmm. relationships, when you're one-on-one with someone with no technology, there are manipulative things that can happen. Like, you know, giving someone a cold shoulder or, you know, things, a cold shoulder for a very long time, trying to like manipulate them into either apologizing or doing whatever. I see that. And I also see leaving somebody on red intentionally for a very long time as similar things. But not one size fits all. You could leave somebody on red because you're not ready to talk about it. Yeah. But then the way that person could interpret it is like, oh, they're being abusive because they're doing this and this. And now you both are at odds because we have a culture of, you know, a subjective truth, but not like a truth that we agree on. And so I think it's, I think, and also like, rather than talk to that other person, you can go talk to a thousand people who agree with you yeah. already. Yeah. And that's just not, I just think that that's a wild system that we've kind of just normalized. And I think that in a country where we're still not at a place where we're talking about romantic relationships or just interpersonal relationships in a completely healthy and communicative and understanding way of all the different isms and schisms in our culture that have built, built over decades to add digital decontextualized, not completely, no, no body language, no tone, just like text to it that we're over compensating with emojis and da 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 da. It starts to get like, it starts to get like, yo, this is, we've lost the meaning of yeah. these things. Yeah. And I agree. I think it's also interesting because when I was younger, I remember before I started going to therapy, I would like, anytime I had a problem, mm-hmm. I would tell like all my friends about it. Yeah. Like the moment I had like a yeah. challenge, yeah. I would just be like, this person did this and it was so fucked up and don't yeah. you agree with me? Mm-hmm. And like, I would seek out that validation. Mm-hmm. And now that ex- like exact same thing just happens all over social media, yeah. I feel like, but with like grown adults. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> don't get me started, but like <laughs> it really, it's absolutely vexing. Like I'll be looking at the internet and I'm like, Yo, are you in Pampers, my nigga? What's wrong with you, bro? Just talk to this other person. Yeah. Or like, if I'm just seeing like catty beef, or my my thing is that like, I let and I said this to Quincy, I said this to Joey, I let too many people tell me who I was through social media, and I, you know, for me, if someone says something like da 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 da, I'm going to introspect. I'm going to be like, okay, what? How can I, you know? ameliorate this what is gone it's just who i am my dad also worked as a diplomat so like as a person who is coming from that sort of energy i'm like i'm trying to find the peace here niggas don't want peace Mm -mm. they want to be right and i think that social media has also created this culture and this is not just social media this this is in us and social media is the tool like black mirror that we are fucking up yeah (laughs) so it all falls apart but i think that like we have a very binary view of everything. It's with us or against us. And I think that now you have followers that you can like bring to be like, are you with me or against me? And especially in like it especially in times where we're starting to talk about movement work, social justice, we can't move with those old systems. Like there are some people who are hold on, you may have heard My a bark. Friend. And every time that <laughs> Ashley comes here, there's a dog friend whose name doesn't matter because we are connected to him spiritually. Um, he just said hi. He said hi. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you don't <laughs> y'all don't speak dog because you're still on social media, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've been on doggo lingo, you know. <laughs> We're picking up some dog, some dog lingo over here, but nah. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh, 
I still don't remember what I'm saying. That's what happens. A dog comes into your life and <laughs> it's that don't worry, be happy song. Like that's a dog. Constant. Like, just on a loop. Time, don't worry. What was that dude? Bobby McFerrin? Is that yep. his name? Yeah, man. I think it took me a while to... No, it's not Bobby McFerrin. It's the dude who does What You Won't Do For Love. Really? No, no, no. I'm saying... I'm oh, sorry. I'm three steps ahead of myself. <laughs> the dude who says... Uh, saying uh, What You Won't Do For Love is a white dude. Oh, yeah. But he be singing with the soul of a black man. Yep. And I... And it... When I found out he was white... It was like finding out Dr. King was white. <laughs> it was like, it was like, I was like, yo, they just really had him in some dark lighting every single oh time. What's good God. with that? Like, it really That was my... Yacht Rock. No, back in the time. Dog. Wow. Just to be on a boat and to be white and to be rich. To be yeah. on a boat and not have, be shackled to the history of slavery. Could you imagine? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, could you fucking imagine? Um, oh, yeah. I was just saying, like, um, the... The fact of the matter is when people hop on social media, like you can kind of like we we all have within us this sort of we want people to agree with us. We want validation. We want that. But I think that if we're going to be applying that to movement work and stuff like that, we need to build better systems. And that's why I believe in abolition. That's why I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. No matter what I'm hearing, I need to go to the source because social media is it is a giant game of telephone yeah and um also i think it's a place where people go to pop style and try and be more unique than everyone else but as somebody who's had a tweet go viral that is a flex uh going through and seeing the quote tweets a lot of y'all are very similar or have very similar <laughs> patterns of thought it's almost as if we all exist in the same culture and are <laughs> and are dealing with very similar things and are hoping that everyone will look at us. And I don't know if that's American. I don't know if that's just, you know, the way that we've all kind of been socialized, but it's very individualistic. And the moment that I switch my mind from like, don't focus on like what's going on with you, know that other people are going on dealing with their stuff and like bring the vulnerabilities together so we can like unpack it and feel because like when you really are vulnerable, someone that you feel safe with. Mm hmm. Again, like it, it feels just like when a DJ tells you, like, yo, good selection. That was a sick yeah, transition. It that's real human good. connection. And I think that, like, we've been, you know, getting used to, like, GMO for a mad long time. And Ooh. now it's like, uh, you know, when people are trying to be real. Yo, I, I, I remember times where I've just definitely, like, stepped up, put my body on the line for some shit that I'm like, and, you know, not protest stuff, but, like, for my friends, da-da-da-da-da, and I still do that, but I was asking myself, why am I not doing it for myself? Because mm -hmm. I'm always giving someone the benefit of the doubt. I've never given the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not even giving it to myself, to circle yeah. back to what you were saying. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was because, you know, like, I hate having to, like, think through this, the, just the filter of social media. Because I know what my intentions are. And I think that if you cared about me, it, we would have that conversation. And that caring is not something I'm going to find from a cross-section of strangers. I can only find it with my friends. And, you know, I say ridiculous things when I'm talking to my friends. Like, I say the stupidest things when I'm talking to my friends. And it's fun and it's freeing. And I think that whether the world that I find myself in, especially with like my background, my five family's background as like being very academic and looking at the world in a very certain way, you know, disqualifies me from certain conversations because people be like, oh, you can't be talking about fucking because <laughs> you went to college. I'm like, you went to college too. Why are you even talking about fucking? <laughs> Just because I use words like intersectionality doesn't mean I can't talk about fucking. <laughs> and I started trying to get baby. And I started a new burner Twitter and be like, yo, fuck this person in particular. Um, no, but I... I I really open up 
better around people in person than I do um, on social media. And I think that also that's part of the reason why I'm not hitting stages. I'll get back to stand-up someday. But I think that I felt very performative, and I think social media is a place to perform your identity or perform your opinion about things. And I think you know reality is just living it, right? Mm-hmm. But the moment that you're like editing sentences and like oh this 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 photo will be better this joke is like this isn't reality anymore now you're now you're curating and i think that like a lot of us have more in common uh common with like art curators and publicists than we do with being a regular person sometimes and i'm kind of tired of that i saw this meme the other no it was like a a tiktok that a friend shared the other day that was this person just like announcing to the camera uh, I would like to inform you that I have decided that I will no longer be having an existential crisis because I do not exist. And <laughs> I'm just thinking about that because of what you said about performance versus reality. And my counter to that is that we don't exist. None of it is real. There's no reality. There's no performance. You know what's wild about that? We literally just had a conversation about abstractism and nihilism and all this sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> if we don't exist, then what matters? <laughs> like, it could it could get in. We can go there. We have ten minutes left for the podcast, and people oh are like, God. "Get to jokes." I'm sick <laughs> of you reading me like um green eggs and ham. Do some jokes, and we're like, "No, no, 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 no. philosophy, <laughs> existential <laughs> crisis." There is no crisis because there's no existence. (laughs) 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 People are like, my brain's already exploded. Stop, please. Uh, Um, No. If you wanted comfort, go to the club. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, I think a famous poet laureate, uh, Usher, once said, make love in the club. (laughs) 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 So (laughs) just go down there and listen to, again, Nobel Prize winner, Usher Baby, and uh, go find some love in that club. But no, I I honestly, that's a great point. That's, That's where I've hit fuck it. That's where I personally am on my journey. I'm just like, none of this shit matters. And I think that I've always had two warring sides of myself. We talked about this about like anger. It's like I'm not comfortable about being angry, especially in public or mad. I will swallow it, but that's not good because now you're creating a thermal nuclear war in your gut, and that's just not right. But when it comes to like frustration and anger, I'm also like, listen, I can get on Twitter, and you know, the pen is nice, but the hands are nicer. Like if you really like, there's some people who'll be talking spicy on the timeline. I'm like, yo, pull up, take your shirt off. We fighting. I, don't, <laughs> I will drop a pin. And, and I, and like, and there's, and I just know those people who love to be on social media talking shit. They're like, it is a very like safe place to do that. Cause it's normalized. We all normalize being rude to each other for retweets. Yeah. And no, you don't see anybody's face when you're being mean. Exactly. And I think that like, you know, in this day and age where we're watching, like, stories about, like, you know, Pamela Anderson or Monica Lewinsky and we're re-examining it with the current lens of things like, wow, that was really fucked up. We're going to be doing the same thing with how social media has fucked up people's lives now because I think that, like, the way, like, 
the court, your jury is like what, twelve people? The court of public opinion is like seven million people, and all of them are like, I have no idea what's going on in this trial, but I think this person's guilty. And you're like, oh, you're in the wrong courtroom. I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm going to delete that tweet, pretend this didn't happen. Goodbye, this courtroom. This nigga is guilty. I'm like, well, you said nigga. I'm like, you can't prove it. Deleted that tweet, and that's just how social media has seemed to be for the last little bit. It honestly, it does. It, if your life has always been on social media, you've never been punched in the face or punched someone in the face, then you don't understand. You, you don't understand how the world works. You're not like us. Yo, you're, you're just built differently. <laughs> like, uh, listen, don't ask about me, bro. Like, I'm not like. So I told you about Joey. Man was being mean to my friend, and I immediately went into goon mode. I was like, "Where is he? I will climb on a ladder and punch him in the face." He was tall, that's why. But oh I was God. I was ready for that. But nah, like, actually, I won't punch anyone these days. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ashley just sends out hits <laughs> to just be like, "Hey, this person kind of stole one of my transitions," and I was like, "I'm about to transition him into the afterlife." <laughs> like, uh, no, yeah. I, I honestly, yeah, I, I really don't, like, I make jokes about violence all the time, but, like, I'm not, I don't enjoy violence, but I'm at this point where, like, where we've decided to a lot, a lot of things mattering is something inconsequential, like Twitter. Like, your actions and your actions over time and your growth journey is most important, and I think that Twitter has normalized, decontextualized snapshots of a moment in a person's life and made that who they are forever it's in the crazy. eyes of some people. It's crazy. And I've, yeah. and I've always just tried to like give people, allow people to have the same complexity that I have for myself and for the people that I care about. And I think if everyone, this is, this is just me not trying to put myself onto everybody else, but just, I just genuinely think that like, we are not allowing everyone the complexity that they deserve and i think that i'm not gonna sit here and say like oh that's a despot oh he probably had a childhood trauma that's why he's a despot no that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that like you cannot treat hitler and a person who stepped on your shoe at save a lot in this <laughs> like the same way and i think that that one size fits all logic is carceral it reminds me of the prison industrial complex yeah. where two people doing the same crime will go away for different times because the color of their skin or and generally look at the people who get to have comebacks like louis ck my man was out yep. here beating his meat in front of all these people and now he's just back on stage just doing whatever and that was mere five years ago that's when we met you know what yep. i mean like yep. that's just kind of where i am with all of this where like we if we're going to create a better future and better spaces that feel safer and be around better people and it's going to take work and cultivation but it's also going to take like us all not just doing the shortcut that person's my enemy that person's my friend mentality and being very binary it's going to take us you know sitting down and having those conversations and maybe those texts are getting a little sparse you don't see that person ever again but uh, ultimately, if that doesn't happen, I really do worry about um, a lot of people, but uh, none more than the people in my life because I care about them a lot. So, uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, same. Mm -hmm. We're just going to look off into the distance for like two to three minutes. We're going to just look at Lo-Fi Girl. Yeah, there's a Lo-Fi <laughs> Hip Hop Girl on the television. And honestly, I was saying this before, it's like she should be president. But then I was like, nah, <laughs> she's too chill. <laughs> we were over here like trying to get social services. She'd be like, nah, bro, just write one sentence over and over and over again and turn the page. Vice President, the cat in the window. 
For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about. Oh my God, I feel bad for you, yeah. but also I'm excited for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tap in, man. Like lo-fi hip hop, like I've done some of my best and worst writing to it, but I've done the writing. I have not procrastinated with lo-fi hip hop girls on the TV it's screen. It's true. Same. Well, that was uh, some free content and another obligatory Jesus Christ reference <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're at that last part of your set while DJing and you're just like, fuck it, here's fucking Kylie Minogue. Like, you don't, you don't even care. You're like, you want music? Here's some fucking music, you trash bags. Like, that's just like how I fe- felt about bringing up the lo-fi girl and just throwing in a Jesus Christ reference in there. Oh, man. But Ashley, thank you so much for coming by today and chopping it up tonight. Uh, future uh, Lucy's guests just so you know Ashley came here and got dinner so like <laughs> really think about how you schedule your time <laughs> like if you're like oh why can't I do it between these times I'm not cooking for you <laughs> you're not getting food it was so good too thank I, you for having me I did not it's pay her to say pleasure. That. I did not pay her to say that <laughs> it was delicious <laughs> um, but Ashley tell them where they can find you in the worlds of the internet um, you can find me on Substack. I have a newsletter that is in the process of actually being renamed. I'm not going to say what it is yet, but I'm Ashley Hefnawi on Substack. Um, and when I am on social media, uh, my handle is it's Maya, all one word, M-Y-Y-U-H. And Maya on SoundCloud if you want to listen to any of my mixes. And you fucking should because they're fucking fire. And uh, do you want to tell them about any of the parties and stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, our next Hezza is going to be March 18th, inshallah, uh, Friday from 9 to 2 at the Sultan Room in Bushwick. Um, and everything else is TBD. Yeah. In terms of parties, I'm hey, just dog. taking it yeah. day by day. Listen, when the Bulbasaur <laughs> variant comes out and you're like, damn, <laughs> shit, I don't even know what to do with this. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Pikachu variant, yeah, you're just really dealing like, damn. But, so you just periodic shocks out of nowhere. Like, I don't want those problems. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, you can find me nowhere, nigga. Stop looking for me. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely Lucy's podcast and uh, more stuff soon come. Thank you so much for pulling back up and uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. An Ego Death Production.